You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Today's scripture reading is Colossians 1, 3 through 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stephen. Happy New Year. This is officially the last day you can say that. All right, they say, like, you have a week to be able to say Happy New Year after today's. Just say hi. Um, Hope you guys are doing well. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude this morning. Just holidays do that to me. Just super grateful for life, for family, for the church family, for what God is doing amongst us, uh, for God being with us. Um, I'm just super grateful and overwhelmed um, with gratitude. And um, so if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Samir. I'd uh, love to get to know you, get to meet you, uh, chat some more. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we, if you notice, whoever's up here that is a pastor, we say I'm one of the pastors because we are led by elders. We are led by a plurality of elders and leadership, and we really believe that that's what God's called us to do. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of a cool thing about how, we, how we're led. So I'm excited because we're jumping into a new series, a new year, a new series. We're going into the book of Colossians. I don't know if you've ever uh, read through the book of Colossians. It's a great book. Paul wrote it. Um, and we're going to call this series Rooted, Rooted in Depth and Restoration in Christ. Our annual theme has always been, uh, per, uh, I'm sorry, what was it again? <laughs> pursuing depth and restoration in Christ. And so everything we're doing is depth and restoration in Christ. And this miniseries is rooted in depth and restoration in Christ. So really, really excited about that. We're gonna look at how we are solidified and centered in Christ as our root uh, throughout our journey as believers. We've been going through a series before Christmas happened called Equipped for Depth and Restoration. And this time we're gonna go into what it is to be rooted in depth and restoration in Christ because really... How do we live in faith and in our life in this world, in this complicated, messed up world? How do we stay rooted? How do we stay rooted in who we are? How do we stay rooted in our faith? And really, that's what we're going to be journeying through. So I'm super pumped about it. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you or if you want to read on the screen with us, that's great. Or your phones, that's awesome as well. We're going to read through that first whole section of Colossians 1, 1 through 14, and really dive into the context of Colossians, to the context of what we're reading, uh, and dive into what Paul is saying to us uh, as we move into this series. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we are amazingly grateful for your goodness in our life. Um, We know that the holiday season can either be a time of great joy or a time of sadness uh, or a time of indifference, Uh, but no matter where we are in that spectrum or in that journey, Lord, we are grateful because you are at our center. Because you are our root. You are the one who is our cornerstone, who never shakes, who never moves, who's never shaken. 
God, we thank you that we can gather together every week uh, to worship you, to exalt you, to learn, to grow, and to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord God, as we preach your word through Colossians, may you be with us. Uh, Allow us to hear your word, to be impacted by your word, to be transformed, and to live a life in alignment with you, Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're jumping into Colossians 1, 1 through 14. I'm going to read all of that, um, and then we're going to read the, understand the context a little bit and dive into what the big idea and what God is saying to us today. So for, uh, we're in Colossians 1, 1 through 14, starting in the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers And sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth. The gospel. That has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it is among you since the day you heard it, and it came to you truly. Appreciate uh, came to you truly. Appreciate God's grace. Verse seven. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason, also since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So this is Paul talking to the Colossians, writing a letter to the Colossians, and this is his intro. This is his, his welcome into what he's going to continue to share. So it's important to understand a little bit of the context of Colossae here. Uh, so Paul, first of all, he's writing this letter while he's in prison. So he's in jail, right? Likely in Rome somewhere, but he's in prison. And the church at Colossae, it was likely established during Paul's third missionary trip as he was journeying through that whole region. He was traveling for like about three years through Ephesus. And it appears that Paul, he did not personally plant the church in Colossae. He was not the church planter that planted Colossae. A lot of times we think about all these churches and we think that Paul was the one who planted all of them. But he was not the one who planted that one specifically. Okay? We see that because we notice uh, that there is a man named Epaphras who was actually a local of Colossae. He was a local... Uh, indigenous person from that area of, Col- of Colossians. And he was the one who went and to journey into the missionary work of 
uh, Paul in Ephesus and he heard the gospel from Paul and Paul sent him back to to Colossae to plant this church. So, So Epaphras was actually the church planter here, not Paul. And I love that Paul references him because he's helping them understand, listen to him. He is your pastor. He is the one who is leading. Colossae was one of the three cities located in the Lycus Valley. All right. So there's three little cities there, Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. Some of us know that city from Revelation. Okay. That formed really an important trade route where they were because uh, it was a virtual meeting point in between the east and the west. And so if we try to give our geographical understanding, this is modern day southwest Turkey. All right, so that's the area in which Colossae is located. Okay, Paul, Colossae of, Paul, uh, of Paul's day, it was still a very cosmopolitan type city. That means there was a lot of trade, a lot of city, which makes it, as we know here in LA, a very diverse city because there's a lot of different people groups coming together for trade. Hey, that's very important to understand why Paul is writing this and why he's writing the way he is writing uh, in this area. So that means what? That means there's many different cultures. It means there's very different, many different religious elements to that area. Many different beliefs all mingled together in one area. Okay, so the population, really it was mostly Greek and this other cultural historic um, people group called the, I'm going to say it wrong, but I didn't practice this enough. Phrygians, the Phrygians, P-H-R-Y-G-I-A-N-S. So when I read that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Who are they? And what it was saying was that they're a historic Armenian and Greek type people group that don't exist anymore. So they spoke a different language, um, but it's an interesting that you can see the, the uniqueness of that area. So Paul, why is he writing this letter then? He's writing this letter really to bring clarity and guidance of what the true gospel is. Because as you can see, there are so many different perspectives, so many different backgrounds, so many different teachings and philosophies that are happening in this time. And this is in the early years of when the gospel was going out. So Paul is like, hey, Epaphras sent you the gospel that I preached, but I'm noticing that you're being influenced by many other teachings, by many other philosophies, by many other backgrounds and cultures. I'm here to tell you what it means to be a true believer in Jesus. What is the true gospel? What it means to live a life in Christ and not be distracted or confused by any of these other philosophies and teachings. Obviously, we don't have that issue here, so we don't have to worry about it. I mean, this is, this is not only so applicable to the Colossians at that time, it is so applicable to us today and now. This is so important. This is why the Bible, the scriptures of God are timeless. Because the reality is, is that this very reason that Paul is writing to the Colossians is the very reason that we need this word spoken to us now and today. So what is Paul saying? What is he saying to the Colossian people? How do we live as believers What is it that we should believe and think, and how then do we live as Christians? I believe this is what Paul's big idea was for them and for us today. The big idea for today is that we have been given all that we need to live the life we are called to live. 
Hopefully that sparks like, really? What is that? What did Paul say that makes that true? That we have been given all that we need to live the life we are called to live. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Because maybe we're not recognizing what those things are or applying them accordingly to the way we live. So what have we been given? There's three things that I think Paul in that section of scripture gives us uh, and he shows us that we've been given these things in order to live a life in Christ and be able to be living in the calling he's called us to live. And then I'm going to throw in a, how do we then live in each one of those areas. You guys excited? I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's do it. The first one, what is it that we are given so that we can flourish and so that we can live a life according to Jesus? The first one is that we have been giving faith in the true gospel. He says that in verses three through six. Faith in the true gospel. What does that mean? I want to read those three verses again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Verse 5, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and it came truly to you, appreciate God's grace. Okay, so Paul is saying, don't forget, you have been given the true gospel. This is the center of what you are to believe. So Paul commends the Colossians that they have the faith in Jesus that he had preached. He commends them and he says that the love that they have for all God's people is important. That their faith is rooted in the hope laid up for them in heaven, a hope that came to them from the true gospel. This gospel, which is bearing fruit and growing in them, is not just passing a passing along ideology, but this is an actual transformative power that reaches every corner of their lives and beyond them. It's the foundation on which their faith stands which is illuminating the path of the life that they are to live in Christ, all right? But the truth is, for us and for the Colossians, that they have been fed so many other false gospels that are surrounding them, right? He's saying this is the true gospel, helping them understand the foundation, but the reality is you're counterparting with a lot of false gospels that you're hearing. So you're not really always Focus in on what it is to be in line with the true gospel. What are some of those false gospels that they have experienced? Some of those are traditions. Traditions of a lot of the Greek and Jewish background people in that region. What are some of those traditions? Traditions of philosophies or stories that sound cool and that are deep but really aren't centered in Jesus. There was a, a crew called the Judaizers who would proclaim Jesus, but they would also say that if you don't abide by the Jewish customs, you are not saved. And Jesus, I mean, and Paul is saying here, that is not the true gospel. That is a false gospel. You hear Jesus, but you hear also that you are to align yourself with certain traditions and customs in order to be saved, but Jesus never claims that. So don't be deceived. There are things like 
in our, in our time, in our day and age, like church traditions or church politics that sometimes skew our understanding of the true gospel. That we've recognized the church as a whole has done things a certain way in assuming that that means that's all that Jesus has called us to. And if we don't align ourselves with what that church tradition is, then we are not in line with Jesus. But that's not what Jesus necessarily says. Or legalism within the church that if you don't do all the right things and live an upright, righteous life uh, with, with every single thing that you do, and if you're not sinless, then Jesus hates you or you're not saved. This is legalism. This is not the gospel of Jesus. We are to be cautioned of these types of teachings. Or in America, we see this big divide in politics. The Republican or Democratic Party that fight against one another And some people would say the Republican Party is the Christian Party. You know, I I just, first of all, like Jesus never claimed any Republican or Democratic Party. There isn't one or the other. The true gospel does not have a political lean. The true gospel has the kingdom lean, the kingdom focus, that Jesus is their king and their center of all things. That is the false gospel. When we presume that the political forces amongst us is either right or wrong in the way we live as Christians. Or American culture as a whole, as a false gospel, this idea of the American dream. Because if we really know, understand the gospel is that means good news. And sometimes the American dream can sometimes seem like good news. But it is not the good news of Jesus. I'm not saying it's evil or wrong. All I'm saying is don't be deceived by these false gospels that are telling you this is what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus is at the center of what the true gospel truly is. Who is this Jesus? The reality is many people deny Jesus in the reality because of these other false gospels that were taught to them thinking that they are to obey and abide by these false gospels in order to know Jesus when that is not the case. We are demanded and commanded to teach and preach the true gospel of Jesus without influence and confusion of these false gospels that will actually cause people to be led astray. I know it's hard because a lot of them seem like they overlap. But it is so important for us as disciples and apprentices of Jesus to recognize the difference between these things. Just like Paul is demanding and commanding to the Colossians here. Don't be confused. So compared to the true gospel, what then is the true gospel? First and foremost, it's all centered on Jesus. We see throughout all of the Old Testament, there is so much of a need for a savior. For someone that's going to save them from The grips of hell, the grips of sin, the grips of other nations that are taking over. And the reality is many people, the Israel people, fall short over and over and over and over again. Many say, we need the king, we need the Messiah, where is he, where is he? And then comes Jesus. The life of Jesus at center stage. Embracing all people. We see his life, right? We look at his stories. Loving all people, eating with all people, being in the midst of the diversity of all humanity, 
living a perfect life, even in the midst among sinners, he lived a perfect life. And then we see the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the blood that he shed, the unconditional love, the self-sacrifice that he said that he would do whatever it takes to save his people, even to the point of taking a cross and shedding his blood. And then we see the resurrection of Jesus, the king who conquered death itself, the very evil, the very enemy that all of us are against, death. And Jesus conquers it, proving that he is the true gospel, that he is the king, that he is the good news, and him being the king and center of our lives, rooted in him, is where we are now set free. So then the question is, how do we then live if that's the truth? If we understand this is the true gospel, Jesus at the center, and not get confused by all these other false teachings, these other false gospels, how do we then live? I don't know if you remember in the 90s, there was this big fad with these wristbands that said WWJD. Remember that? What would Jesus do? All right. That's cool. I mean, it, it makes sense. But at the same time, like, Jesus didn't live a life in 2024 with kids and the job that we have, right? Like, not saying that he couldn't. I'm just saying he didn't, right? We, we, he didn't have the direct impact and experience that we're having in this moment. So what would Jesus do? Sometimes we put ourselves in his shoes and, like, man, he lived a different He was single. He was wandering, teaching. Like, he was doing a great work. But, like, I can't live like that. Like, that's kind of off of my... Ability at this moment, right? Depending on your circumstance. So a better question, I think, instead of WWJD, it should be WWJDIHWM. <laughs> which is what? What would Jesus do if he was me? What would Jesus do if he was me? Better than what would Jesus do? Period. What would Jesus do if he was me? What that means is, if Jesus was in my shoes, how would he make this decision? Or if Jesus was in my shoes, how would he think about this scenario? Right? The only way we can really familiarize ourselves with that truth is if we know the life of Jesus. If we know how he lived. If we know how he embodied himself amongst people around him. If we know how he loved people so well and embraced them, helped them to belong before they even believed if we knew the life he lived, we can then align ourselves with what would Jesus do if he was me in this circumstance right now. So how do we then live? We, we, we put ourselves in, in his shoes or we ask him to put, uh, we, we ask to our minds, how does he then see our scenario here and today and now? We have been given this true gospel. Jesus, the true gospel, simple the things around us complicate it. Just look at the life of Jesus. How would he live if he was me here and now? We have been given the true gospel. The second thing that we have been given is that we have been given the empowerment by the Spirit of God. We have been given the empowerment, the ability to be empowered by the Spirit of God. We see that in verses 8 through 10. And he, told, he has told us about your love in the spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You see, the Colossians were not left to navigate their faith journey alone. Neither are we. Epaphras, the the, the planter, teacher who taught them and showed them the gospel, was a fellow servant who brought them the message of God's grace. Through this grace, they were empowered by the Spirit of God to believe and to live. Paul prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. See, this empowerment wasn't merely for personal enrichment, but for a life that reflects the glory of God in their actions. You see, the reality is like self-help, yeah, it's cool. In the sense that like we want to get better and become better people and, and, and we have this idea that we can help ourselves, this self-help kind of thing. But the reality is it falls short. It falls short. Because it does not exemplify our true purpose, which our true purpose is to reflect God's glory. If we just emphasize self-help without emphasizing the Spirit's help, we fall short of reflecting God's glory through our life. You see, our flesh, the reality is our flesh gets in the way. Our flesh gets in the way. Our sin, our pride, our desire for self-gain Our selfishness gets in the way because we think that within our willpower that we can accomplish great things. But we fall short. Because the empowerment, what Paul is saying is the empowerment of the spirit of God is a supernatural work. It's a work that we cannot do in ourselves. That the spirit of God is where God himself, God himself, imagine that. The creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, the creator of every little star, everything, is saying, I want to empower myself in you, that he's in you wanting to empower you. Isn't that just mind-blowing? But he is saying this in a promise, that I want to be empowered through you, where he himself is changing, shaping, and influencing our mind, will, and emotions. Each and every one of you. There isn't like a limit to how many people he can do that with. Right? He's above and beyond powerful. Like he can be amongst and in and empower each and every one of us. And he can do that to the entire world. For those that want to be empowered by him. In order to see why are we empowering us? So that we can now see who he truly is and who we truly are. And how we are called to live then now here in this world. But the self-help and doing it ourselves and just putting it up and and trying to figure it out on our own. Like it falls short. Because we cannot see the way he sees. We need to be empowered by the spirit of God. And Paul here is saying that you have been empowered. You have the true gospel. And the true gospel means that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father. He sent down his spirit to be among you to be in you, and to empower you. So we have been given the power of the Spirit of God in order to live the life we are called to live. How do we then live? How do we then live? 
we, first and foremost, to be self-aware enough of when our flesh gets in the way. Like, I know that's a, kind of, that's a hard work to do, but I would encourage you to do the work. Like, where am I getting in the way? Where is my flesh getting in the way? Where's my pride getting in the way? Where I'm not willing to recognize I need the empowerment of God in this moment, in this scenario. I continue to over and over, fall short here and here and here and here, again, again and again, and yet it's hard for me to surrender it. Where are you not self-aware and where are you self-aware of understanding where your mind, where your will, where your emotions are, whether or not it's in alignment with his spirit or not. Then we then surrender our mind, our will, and our emotions to be shaped, changed, and influenced by the spirit of God so that we can live and see life the way Jesus sees it. So not only are we trying to remember or remind ourselves and read Jesus' life and say, what would Jesus do if he was me? That's great. But reality is, as we see that, it's, it's, it sounds awesome, but it's so hard to even implement without his power influencing us to move forward in, in, in accomplishing that. That we can look at the life of Jesus till the cows come home. Is that the phrase? This just sounds like a weird phrase. What does that even mean? I've heard it, but I guess it connects. And we can see that phrase over and over, but at the same time, we cannot do that ourselves. We cannot live the life of Jesus on our own. We need the empowerment of God's spirit to empower us, to, to influence us, to shape our hearts, to walk out his life. So we've been given all that we need. Paul is clearly showing us that. We have the true gospel. We have the empowerment of the spirit. And third, he says in verses 11 through 12, we have the inheritance shared with the saints. We have the inheritance shared with the saints. What does that mean? Let's read verses 11 and 12 again. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. I need some of that, right? Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who was able, who, was enabled, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You see, Paul is encouraging them. He's saying to them, they are filled with God's mighty power. That this strength isn't just for facing personal challenges, although it is. It's not just to, to be able to persist with the patience and the joy that God's called us to live to. Oh, that is true. While this is somewhere we are thanking God, but he has made them able to partake in the blessings that is shared amongst the believers. That is shared amongst the inheritance of God. Of God's people. This is a part of what God has given us to live a life of flourishing. The people of God coming together, recognizing that we have the true gospel, recognizing that we are empowered by the spirit of God, and recognizing that we need one another to encourage one another, to remind each other of the good news, to, to lean on each other, to cry with each other, to celebrate with each other. This is a need in our walk with Jesus. A community, a unity that is shared in Jesus within the local church is essential to our faith and life as followers of Jesus. Absolutely essential. It's a holistic life in Jesus 
but it is not possible without the family of God. It will fall short. It will be so much harder to be reminded of the true gospel, to be empowered by the spirit if we're not amongst God's people. Because we are to celebrate together. We are to mourn together. We are to uplift each other and to give one another gospel reminders. I don't know about you, but I need that. That's why like on a Sunday morning, I feel that gratitude because man, I can't do this without y'all. I love what Paul writes in Romans when he's writing to the Romans because it goes to this question now in this section, how do we then live? How do we now live amongst this truth that we need one another in the inheritance of the saints? Paul in Romans 12, 15 through 18 writes it perfectly. I wasn't even gonna try it. I'm just gonna read what he said when it comes to how do we live amongst God's people. He says this. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I don't know about you, but all those false gospels that I was describing earlier, this is not necessarily the fruit of those false gospels. See, if the church or politicians or philosophers or pastors or teachers aren't seeking this life in the body of Christ amongst one another, it isn't Jesus. I mean, this is the scriptures. This is what it says. Live this way amongst one another. Not to pursue division or to, to, to seek to harm one another. Like, Jesus wants and desires unity. Living out these ideas means being understanding and humble in how we live each day. It's cheering one another's successes with all our hearts, being there to support and comfort when times are hard. And trying to understand where others coming from, even when we don't see eye to eye, even when we have differences and diversity, trying and seeking to understand. It's about being humble instead of proud, treating one another with respect no matter who they are and not hitting back when someone treats us badly. This is Jesus. Practically, it's about celebrating someone's achievements, being a good listener when someone needs to talk, respectfully talking about things when we disagree, right? Making friends with those also, who might be left out or marginalized. This is Jesus. And always trying to find peace in tricky situations. Trying to find it. Doing all we can. Right? Doesn't mean it will always be that outcome. But we do all that we can in our power. That's what it said right in that end of that passage in Romans. In the end, it's all about being kind, understanding, and humble in how we treat one another every day. This is the inheritance of the saints, of the people of God. How does that practically look when we live it? So will we do this perfectly? No. I mean, come on. We're not going to do it perfectly. 
We're not naive to that thought or that if we fall short of that, that we're not, you know, believers anymore, right? That's not how it works. Because the reality is, like we said earlier, right, we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God to do this. That's why we are continuing to look at the life of Jesus and saying, I need to reflect the way he lived. I can't do this on my own. That's why we continue to say and surrender to the power and spirit of God that we need the spirit of God to to be able to live out this life because we can't do it on our own. But we have been given everything in order to flourish as believers, right? We have been given the true gospel. We have been given the empowerment of the spirit. We have been given one another the inheritance of the saints. This is how Paul starts Colossians. Setting it all up for the rest of the letter as we continue to eat up and soak up what he's teaching so that we can grow in Christ, so that we can be closer apprentices, better apprentices, nearer to Jesus in this journey as believers. And all of this centered in Jesus is not possible without King Jesus. Right, the last two verses as we close. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He's pulled us out from the shadows and placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because of this, we've been freed, forgiven, and given a fresh start in him. So to sum it all up, we've got everything necessary to live out our calling. Okay, I don't know where you are in your heart, in your mind to believe this truth, but it is true. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus, if you believed in the life, death, resurrection, that he died for you, and that you've committed and surrendered your life to him, he has given you everything you need to flourish as your calling in Christ should be. What is that? How do you live it? It's here for you. To be apprentices of Jesus. We're fueled by God's spirit, and we're part of an incredible inheritance shared amongst believers So let's stand strong in our faith, letting the gospel shape our lives, being empowered by the spirit to live right and celebrating the amazing inheritance that we've been given in Christ. What a joy it is. What a truth it is. Let's live deeply rooted in him, restored by his grace and show how the gospel transforms us. For those that believe this is the truth for you. For those that hear this and you're like, wow, that sounds awesome. We'd love to learn more. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you understand. But the reality is that even in our understanding, it's not possible without the empowerment of God's spirit. So I want to pray for us, pray for God's spirit to empower us, to teach us, to guide us in how to grow in in faith, how to grow in understanding, how to be near to Jesus, and how to see Jesus for who he truly is and not be deceived by these false gospels. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came to this earth to show us what it means to live as humans perfectly. Clearly we are broken and hurting and unable to do it on our own. But you came to display the perfect life that we could not live. You came to display the perfect death that we could not bear. That we deserved the death, we deserved to die because we fall short every single moment, but yet you said you would take it on for us. Not just take on the death, but you would shed the blood that would actually create forgiveness, righteousness for all humanity who believes. That we are washed away now 
from our sin and brokenness. And we can live a new life in you because you died for us. And not only did you just die, but you resurrected from the dead. You rose to prove that you conquered death and to prove that your death actually did what you said it would do, which is forgive our sins and give us righteousness. You rose from the dead to prove that you are the son of God. Lord, would you empower us not only to believe this truth, but to be transformed by your gospel? Will you empower us to live a life worthy of our calling? Would you empower us to live a life that is loving and caring amongst the saints who we are called to love and care for and to lead people back to the feet of Jesus and for others to lead us back to your feet, Jesus, when we are hurting and in need? We thank you that, for, that, that you gave us all that we need to live out our calling. You gave us yourself, Jesus. You gave us the empowerment of your spirit. You gave us the body of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.